Greetings, uh, my name is Adam Draycott and welcome. Uh, you are watching the online ministry from St Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, this has been prepared for the 4th of September 2022, this 23rd Ordinary Sunday. And our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 119. It says, You are righteous, Lord, and right are your judgments. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. We're going to have a time of praise where we reflect on God's love now.
Let us pray. God, our Father, you redeem us. You make us your children in Christ. Look on us. Give us true freedom and bring us to the inheritance you promised. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. As we come to the ministry of God's Word, uh, we have two readings today. Uh, Psalm 24 is a good one to look at, uh, but I encourage you to have a good look at Acts chapter 1. Uh, if you're on your own, read the whole chapter out loud. That'd be terrific. If you're in church, maybe Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 14. But just know that uh, when I preach, we're going to deal with a whole lot. So buckle in. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather in this way. We pray that you would feed and nurture us through the ministry of your word, that you would be at work by your spirit, growing us in Christ Jesus, that we might glorify you all the more. We ask for your help in this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, do you remember when we converted from leaded petrol to unleaded petrol? I was a young fella. I think it was the, was it the 80s that happened in Australia. It took us a little while to catch up with the rest of the world. But, and there were, I remember there was no shortage of naysayers. People were carrying on like the sky was going to fall in. Um, even though in hindsight it was always going to happen. Which then lends the next question. What do you think of electric cars? <laughs> what do you think about electric cars? One of my best mates, he loves technology. And if there's a new gadget, go find him. He'll tell you all about it. And he went out, and of course he went out, as you do, and went out and bought a brand new electric car called a Polestar. And uh, I said to Andrew, look, mate, tell me, what is the same about an electric car? What's, what are the similarities? And he says, well... For now, you still need a driver, still takes you from A to B, still got to pay rego and insurance, it still gets stuck in traffic jams. And I think, well, you, you could add, it's still got two wheels at the front and two, wheel, two wheels at the back. I imagine you still need seatbelts. I mean, it's a car. Still a car, same, same. Then the next question was, what's different? Wow. Andrew says, less parts. So you know how you open up the bonnet and look in the engine and it's full of stuff like, uh, what, the combustion engine, uh, pistons, crankshafts, manifold, exhaust system, starter motor, radiator, hoses, car, the whole, whole list goes on. And he says it's all gone, which means that there's less to maintain, fail or wear out. And all that space becomes luggage room. Uh, it also means that because there's no combustion it, um, engine, so to speak, that driving is smooth and there's no vibration, there's no vroom, which means if you love a V8 and the purr of an engine, you can forget about it. Running costs, he says, two-thirds cheaper compared to petrol or diesel, zero vehicle emissions, 
um, from the vehicle, but not the passengers. Oops, uh, charging is done from home instead of a trip to the servo. And one pedal driving, this is what grabbed me. One pedal driving? Instead of using a brake pedal, reverse torque from the electric motor slows the car and charges the battery. Do you understand that? I don't. I just want to know where my brake pedal is. But apparently there's only one pedal. So go figure. Here is the thing. It's the same, but it's very different. And this is kind of what we find when we come to the Book of Acts. It's the same. It reads the same. It even feels like a gospel. But there's something different. And the difference is what we need to come to terms with. It's there in chapter 1. You know, we meet Jesus. Look at him. He's teaching his disciples. Again, that's the same. They're eating a meal together. That's the same. There's proofs that Jesus is alive. That's, we, yeah, that's John 20. Thank you, Thomas. That's the same. In verse 3, Jesus is still talking about the kingdom of God. That's the same. That's all of Mark's gospel. There's a promise, verse 5, that John baptized with water, but Jesus, the Holy Spirit. That's the same. We've heard that before. Jesus again promises the Holy Spirit here in chapter 1. But it's the same. We know this from John 15 and 16. It's Luke 24. So there's nothing new. Even the command, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do we know that's Matthew 28? Do we know that was last week, Luke 24, that Matthew showed us? Same, same, same. So what's different? Great question. Glad you asked. Again, the difference is what the disciples are going to need to come to terms with because their world is going to change. And it's what we need to come to terms with as well. And, and this difference is going to ripple through the whole book of Acts. And, and so what is different? Well, well, let me show you one massive game changer. It's in verse 9. You might have noticed this as you read it. Uh, verse 9. After Jesus said these things, he was taken up before their very eyes. That's the eyes of the disciples. And a cloud hid him from their sight. Someone in Bible study Thursday wanted to reference a jetpack. Okay, no, Jesus would not have needed one. Uh, but imagine standing in the shoes of the disciples and seeing Jesus ascend, your leader, and he's supposedly gone, vanishes behind the clouds. How do you feel? Do you feel hope? Do you feel positive and woohoo, he's gone? Or oh, dread, dread? A trusted, much-loved leader steps back. There's a change at the top. How do you feel? You get uncertain, nervous about the future, maybe. Or when a loved one departs, or someone who's offered you sound, uh, godly, good guidance. Here's Jesus. He's gone. Verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them again. Angels dressed in white in a big moment giving directions. This, were these guys at the tomb? It's the same. Of course, the big deal is in verse 9. It, it is the ascension of Jesus. So come back to that. It's a massive game changer. 
Why? Well, because you already know about the cross. You know that the cross is God's demonstration of love for us in this, that whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is paid for, forgiveness is assured. You know that. You know that at the cross, Romans tells us that justice is served, God's wrath is turned aside. We know about the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, that on account of the resurrection, Jesus has kicked death in the butt. The resurrection means there's more. There's more beyond the doorway to death. We can talk about the cross. We can talk about the resurrection, but what about the ascension? Here is the big game changer. Jesus ascends and takes his place at the right hand of God the Father. It means that Jesus rules, that he is Lord of all, that his ascension is like a coronation, a glorification, that that little preview that you got at the transfiguration, if you remember that, it foreshadows what is now a reality for Jesus. Sitting at the right hand of the Father. Wow! And that is what is different. It is, and this is going to get the disciples in a lot of trouble in Acts, because it is the ultimate declaration of the Lordship of Jesus, that he sits at the right hand of the Father. Here's an application. Do we view the world like it's all up to us? Pick your social issue. It's all up to me. Our people, our resources, our materials. We're free to live independently. These are all my problems to solve. Or do we live like the ascended Christ reigns and rules from heaven? The difference is, is whether you live as a Christian or not, I think. See, what does Jesus do from this place of rule? Ah, sounds like a Bible study question, doesn't it? I'm going to rattle off a few things to try and stay with me. One is he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit as he promised. He's talked a lot about that. But we need to know that just as surely as Jesus goes up, the Spirit will come down. That's the movement. And chapter 2, when we get to that next week, is proof that Jesus is where he said he would be. That the Spirit comes is evidence that he sits at the right hand of the Father. Here's the second thing that he does. He will gift the church for works of service. 1 Corinthians 14, I think it is. And here's the third thing. He will intercede for us. He's the go-between between us and God, which gives us great, greater confidence to pray. To come before the Father. And it's why we pray in Jesus' name. We put his signature on it like we would a check. We're going to talk more about prayer in a moment. There's something else about the ascension of Jesus that you see need to see. Uh, so see it in verse 11. The angels say, The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way you have seen him go. The ascension means... That Jesus is coming back one day, on a big day. When Peter preaches later on in Acts chapter 3, verse 21, he says, Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago. 
And so Jesus is going. His ascension means he's coming back to make all things right. But it means there's stuff to do in the meantime, doesn't it? It's kind of like Tanya uh, went off Saturday morning before 6am uh, to head to Tamworth for a women's conference with Safe. She'll be back in the evening. But in the meantime, the boys are at home and there's stuff for us to do. Right, we've got to let the chooks out. We Maybe we've got to, well, I've got to empty the dishwasher. Then I've got to stack it and then I've got to run the dishwasher. Um, there's probably a mess that's been made in the kitchen that's going to need to be cleaned up. Uh, the bed, yeah, it'd be a good idea if I made that. Uh, pick up the groceries, that's going to happen at some, some stage. The fire, it's a cold, windy day and it's wet. I've got to keep that fire. There are things to do because she's coming back. And guess what? Jesus is coming back. Which means that there are things for us to do. And you say, like what? And I say, the answer is, verse 8, that we're going to be part of this witness, this global witness that begins in Jerusalem, then goes out, pushes out to Judea, and then pushes out further to Samaria, and then keeps pushing out to the ends of the earth. This is what we have to do. We are witnesses of the resurrected Christ, just as the early church was. Now, this is where you might expect me to talk about global mission. And we could talk about our mission partners in our local church, and maybe you have them as well, people that you support. We could talk about CMS and BCA. We could talk about our own witness here in Inverell or wherever you are located. But, bef but that would be a mistake. You know, why? Well, without first pointing us, to verse 4, Jesus says to his mates, Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my Father promised. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 is the same. And so, no matter how urgent the task, the disciples were not to begin their public ministry without the public outpouring of the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost chapter 2. We'll come to that next week. Here is the application for us. Whether it's global mission. Or whatever it is. In all that the church does. But yeah okay. In particular regard to our, our witness. In all that the church does. It is to do it. In the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not lone rangers. We do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we all serve Christ in whatever form we serve, can I then ask, is this your experience? Are you doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit? And you go, oh, I don't know. And then can I ask, is it even your prayer? Are you praying for God's help? Help me to serve by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me be godly and wise and gracious. Help me to show forth Christ's character as I serve. Is the presence of the Holy Spirit your confidence as you serve, as you witness? That's a really important application. Uh, and it's a game changer, isn't it? Because this is what we see here. Now, in verse 12, uh, they're not standing around looking into the sky anymore. Uh, it's a great way to get people together, by the way. Try it down in 
Sydney, look, look up and you'll get a crowd around you. True story. Verse 13, they find an upper room. Same, same, upper room. Those named are familiar. We know about Peter, James, John, Andrew. They're all familiar. Uh, verse 14, there are women there. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brothers. This is all familiar. Same, same again. But verse 15 onwards, such as their desire to get on with it, they've got to replace Judas. Peter, verse 16, now sees Judas's betrayal as a fulfillment of Scripture. Verse 18 is particularly gross, but hey, Luke's a doctor, so maybe the spilling of intestines is noteworthy to him. Little wonder, verse 19, everybody heard about it. Who gets the gig? Well, a bloke called uh, Matthias. But notice before we get there, the qualifications of apostleship and see what the central task is. Verse 21, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become witnesses uh, with uh, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Central task: witness to the resurrection. Now you might be struck by this: the realization that more than twelve followed Jesus around. Remember, in the Gospels. At one stage, he sends out 72. Certainly the 12 comprised his inner circle of leadership, and they even had a treasurer, remember? But it turns out they couldn't count on him. Why is it necessary to replace Judas? Well, look at the, look at the end of verse 20. As Peter is quoting the book of Psalms, he says that Scripture tells us May another take his place of leadership. And so for Peter, replacing Judas is the command of Scripture. That's why. It doesn't get any plainer than that. And so he does it. We might ask, why didn't Luke just take us from the ascension of Jesus straight to chapter 2 and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Good news story. Well, why didn't he do why does he have to go here? Why didn't he just wallpaper it over? It would have been simple. And it's not like we hear about Matthias again anyway. I mean, a significant leader has failed. This is kind of embarrassing for the early church. Who wants their dirty laundry uh, hanging around? And don't forget the, <laughs> the violent ending. We can do with that. So why is it here? Can I say, as a pastor, this grabbed me because I look and go, wow, the early church was like this then. And it, it's always been this way, hasn't it? From the beginning. There's always been a snake in the garden. And so that must shape our expectations. Judas is a failure that needs to be owned and rectified. And it is part of Luke giving an orderly account, warts and all. And so the church is not idealized. There is no pedestal for the early church. The saying is surely true, the best men are still men at best. Or let me put that another way, the best humans are still humans at best. 
Just as the church faces up to the need to renew church leadership following the apostasy of Judas, so too we are to recognise our own frailty. And so this is an important marker for us. Sin and failure needs to be acknowledged and dealt with by the church. With the appointment of Matthias, the twelve are reformed. They're ready to get cracking. And they're going to bear witness to the resurrection and ascension of Christ. They're going to lead the church. But there's one more thing I want to talk about. Did you notice they gather in prayer? Verse 14 tells us. Verse 24 tells us as well. Verse 24, let's find it. They prayed. Lord, Lord, that's the same Lord as in verse 6. It's Jesus. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Ouch. We read the Gospels and who is the one that's always off praying by himself? It's Jesus. And what are the disciples doing in the Gospels? While Jesus is praying, the disciples are having a snooze, having a kip. Now, I'm not saying that the disciples never prayed before this. What I am saying is, look what Luke wants to show you. He wants to contrast and emphasize God's people joining together now in prayer. And he wants you to be struck by it, I think. We're to see a marked change, a significant difference. We're to see the Christian church, even the early church, as flawed as it was, is still a praying church. Christians want to talk about the power of prayer. Acts 1 tells me that it is the ascended Jesus that makes prayer powerful. We can't, can't forget that when we talk about prayer. We must remember it's Jesus that is powerful, the one in whose name we pray. We pray in his name, remember. It reminds me that we can be strategic or ultra slick, or resourced with ministry. We can try and be clever, but it's not enough. We must be praying. Prayer to the ascended Christ is a must. Dependence on God by his spirit is a must. But we must see that Jesus is present and active here still. He has ascended, yes, but he's still doing his thing. He's involved in Matthias' election. He leads and guides from heaven through his spirit. We need to see that Jesus is not disinterested. He is not detached. Uh, he is not absent. He is not uninterested or uninvolved in his church. No, he's, he's not visible. But we see here, he is very much alive and active and busy. Christ's church then is not merely human. Think about that. The Son of God directs his church from heaven. And so we must invest our confidence in the Lord to guide us, direct us, believing God will fulfill his purposes through Christ's church. With his ascension and the pouring of the Spirit, he is Lord of all and most especially he is Lord of his church. He continues to lead, guide, direct, rebuke and encourage. That's what Jesus does by his spirit, through 
the apostolic witness of God's word. And so let me finish with St. Augustine. St. Augustine said it well, for he departed and behold, he is here. What about the lots, you ask? Casting lots in verse 26? Yeah. Tune in next week and we'll have a crack at that.
secure trust in his love never alone christ is with us he's with us I hope uh, on account of reading Acts chapter 1, you've been super encouraged to be praying. And uh, can I commend that to you? Uh, this next moment, as you engage with this ministry, please hit the pause button and come to God and give thanks to Him for all these blessings we've received on account of our Lord Jesus. Ephesians tells us we've got every spiritual blessing in Christ. We lack nothing on account of him. And so let's pray in light of the cross, the resurrection and the ascension. Uh, let's come to the throne of grace with our requests as we think about our loved ones who are sick or lonely or infirmed or, uh, or in their grief. Uh, let's commit them to our Lord and let's pray about God's activity uh, in, our, in our spaces, in our local churches, in our Bible study groups. Let's rejoice as we see God at work, but let's also ask that God will be growing us by his spirit in Christ Jesus, that he might be glorified. That's a good prayer to pray. Of course, uh, if you'd like to express your love for God uh, financially as well, um, uh, there is a screen uh, at the end of this video which gives you directions for that. And also, you'll see the familiar blue screen that offers some other random prayer points. There's much to be praying about in light of Acts chapter 1. I encourage you to do that now, whomever you are with. Don't not pray, because that's what Christians do. We pray. All right.
with the words from Colossians chapter 3 uh, which in light of what we've just looked at now are really striking Colossians chapter 3 do you know them Colossians since then you've been raised with Christ see that's a present reality set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. All the best with that. But there's the encouragement. Why? For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What a wonderful prospect. May God bless us as we absorb those words. Happy Sunday.